G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David. I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. Today's sermon is part of our series called Frontline, Good News from Dr. Luke, focusing on Luke's Gospel. And the sermon today is entitled Good News Gathered, and it focuses on Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke chapter 5, beginning at the first verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake at Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one boat and the one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled to their partners in the other boat to come across and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and and he was astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Let's see if you can finish the sentence. Uh, Behind every great man there is a... Great woman. Great woman, yes. An even greater woman. Sounds like some in the congregation know, know one of those. Well, really, behind any successful person is a team of people helping them to thrive. Think of Olivia Newton-John and the cast of Greece. Think of Shane Warne and the Aussie cricket team of the 1990s. Think of Bon Scott and ACDC. Alexander Graham Bell once wrote that... Great discoveries and improvements invariably involve the cooperation of great minds. Today we're going to see how the good news of Jesus gathered great minds and great hearts together for a purpose, and in doing so, turned the world upside down. Our story begins in Luke 5, verse 1, where we read, One day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. 
What follows is one of the best known fishing stories ever. And the best part of it is that it's true. Today we're going to look at a seaside sermon, why Jesus went fishing in the daytime, and we'll see how the good news calls us to gather disciples into a whole new world. Well, as Jesus delivers his seaside sermon, it's important to note one thing straight off the bat. According to Luke, Jesus speaks the word of God. As Jesus teaches by the Sea of Galilee, here Luke calls it Gennesaret, which was another name for the body of water, we're told that the people listened to the word of God. Now, Jesus wasn't holding a Bible or the scroll of Isaiah like he was in the synagogue last week. Here Jesus tells us, so here Luke tells us that Jesus spoke the word of God directly. A powerful affirmation of Jesus' godhood. And the people are hungry for the word of God. They crowd around Jesus, but they can't hear him. So in verse 2, fishing their nets, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. As Jesus teaches the people on the beach, the crowds swell. And so Jesus embarks on this floating pulpit so more people can hear him. In fact, he and the beach as a natural amphitheater. All this time, though, the fishermen there are there on the beach mending their nets. It's their workplace. Nets at the time were big rope numbers, and fishermen would try to throw them level into the water in the hope that they'd catch as many fish as possible on their way down to the seabed. Then they'd pull a drawstring from the bottom, and it would tie up like a balloon, and then the men would haul their catch into the boat, hoping to catch as many fish as possible. Fishermen would fish at night because fish aren't active during the day. And they would end their necky, and then they'd go home for a sleep. So here are these poor fishermen sitting on the beach after a bad night of fishing. They've had nothing for brekkie because they didn't catch anything, and now they're washing their nets in the hope that they can go home and have a sleep. And all these people start invading their beach. And then this preacher who's really a carpenter who fancies himself as a preacher. He jumps into one of their boats and puts out to water. And all Peter wants to do is go home and have a rest. But this seaside sermon is about to have a fishing end. If you look at verse 4, it says, When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, as we've seen, Jesus is already pushing his luck by taking the fishermen from their work. And all of a sudden, this tourist wants to go fishing. What a thing. Here's a lifelong fisherman telling a tourist, you can't go fishing in the daytime. If they caught nothing at night, they've got Buckleys in the day. Simon's tried, and he's tired but he's also willing. Boss. So he's heard Jesus' teaching and he's realized there's something special about this man from Nazareth. 
And here comes the but. And it's a very big but. He says, but because you say so, I will let the nets down. Here's this glimmer of faith that Jesus was talking about in foreigners last week in his hometown. While many people thought Jesus was too simple or too crazy to listen to him, Simon is ready to say to Jesus, because you say so. How many times in our lives do we hear the word of God telling us to do something we don't want to do and we say, I know it's not enough for me, but Simon is prepared to do exactly this, even if he thinks it's pointless, because that is what Jesus is telling him to do. And miraculously, that's all God needs. A little nod from us, a hint of faith, a little room in our hearts to fish in the daytime. God takes our small act of faith and uses them to work miracles. Verse 6 says this, When they had done so, they caught a of fish, that their necks began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. It's a miracle. Obedience brings results. You don't usually catch fish like this at the nighttime, let alone at the daytime. And the hole is so big that the boats begin to sink. Not just one boat, but multiple boats. These fishermen have never seen a catch like this in all their lives. You can't make this stuff up. Uh, Aussie commentator Leon Morris, he's very dry, and he says this, Clearly the catch was abnormal. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was really abnormal. It was not to be explained along the usual lines of fishing techniques. (laughs) So true. Here Jesus shows us at least two things. First of all, he shows his power to meet human needs in the abundance of his kingdom. In God, there is no hunger, there is no lack, there is no suffering. We live in a fallen world where fish stocks run low, nets get worn, and work is hard and lonely sometimes. Not so in the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, there is always enough. Decay is no more, and work is rewarding. It's no coincidence that the best day of fishing for these men comes. Jesus is in their boat. The second thing we see is God's unlimited power. Jesus isn't just a good teacher, he's God. The fish he created now swim towards his nets. We also see the power over despair and futility that Jesus has. Jesus knows where the fish are, and he also knows what these people need. And it's not the fish in their boats, it's the Lamb of God beside them. And this opens them up to a whole new world, a whole new way of living. As Jesus does this, you'd think Simon would react with surprise. Maybe he'd ask, well, how did you do that, Jesus? Teach me your ways. Or perhaps he'd see a business opportunity. Perhaps he'd say, well, Jesus, how about you come and work for me? (laughs) But instead, we get a different reaction in verse 8. He says, 
When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. This is the first time Simon is called by his Greek name, Peter. Jesus will so fundamentally change Simon's identity that he calls him Peter, or rock. While Simon was happy to humor the teacher at first, his change in attitude towards Jesus here is enormous. He's struck by the power and wonder of God, and he's overwhelmed in God's presence. Everyone is. While the people in Jesus' hometown rejected him and tried to throw him off a cliff, here Jesus reveals a fraction of his power, and Peter's undone. Now, Peter's not a perfect man, but he's not particularly sinful either. He's a faithful Jew, but it was hard for people like him to keep Jewish purity laws, to keep the prayer times, and to go to all the Jewish festivals. He's not a bad person, and yet when he's confronted by the goodness of God, he's struck by his shortcomings. He's afraid and can't stand being in Jesus' presence. His reaction seems strange, but it's actually very common in the Bible when people come into contact with the presence of God. When Moses meets God in the burning bush, he shields his eyes, takes off his sandals, and feels unworthy of God's call. When God meets the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, they have to keep away. They have to keep a perimeter around Mount Sinai for fear that if they walk too close into God's holiness, they will be struck dead. When Isaiah gets a vision of God as he's called, he cries out, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. We sang about it in one of our hymns this morning. Peter recognizes who he's dealing with here, and he acts appropriately. He isn't a bad man, but compared to God, he realizes he's totally unworthy. Like someone who's underdressed at a lavish party, it's the contrast between Jesus' goodness and Peter's humanity that he wants to stay away from. And yet while Peter has grasped Jesus' power, he's about to experience God's mercy too. In verse 10, Jesus says, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Jesus doesn't scold him for his poor self-esteem or try to correct his thinking. But he does comfort him. He tells Peter basically to buck up and gives him a mission. It's okay, Peter. Let's go. Jesus will take Peter's giftings and use them for his glory. Commentator Mike McKinley um, says, says it like this. The word picture Jesus uses is inverted when he talks about fishing for men, becoming a fisher of men. While fishermen snatch living fish away to their death, Peter and the other disciples will be engaged in snatching spiritually dying people away to life. How amazing it is that Jesus, the Holy Son of God, would use sinful people like Peter to accomplish his saving work in the world.
Immediately, Peter, James and John leave everything behind and follow Jesus. They leave their nets, their boats and this record catch behind. Even their families for the new world that Jesus has to offer. Now this story is so wonderful and simple that I don't want to over explain it. But I do want to offer three very simple applications for us today. First, notice how God is calling us from where we're at. Jesus didn't tell Peter to stop wasting his time as a fisherman. Instead, he calls him to his true calling and takes it to a new level. So often in the church, we think that you have to be a priest, a pastor, or a church worker to actually begin serving God. But this is not the case. God has given you talents and giftings and experiences in your life to use for his glory. He doesn't want to change who you are. He wants to take who you are and use it for the redemption of the world. If you're a teacher, God wants to t- you to teach his children about Jesus. If you're a nurse, God wants you to be a healer for the broken. If you're a farmer, God wants you to sow the good news of the gospel. If you're a grandparent, God wants you to care for the next generation. How would you fill in this sentence? I am a, and God wants me to be a for him. I really hope there are no bank robbers or axe murderers in the the congregation today. (laughs) But think about it. I mean, if you're a bank robber, you could say, well, I'm a bank robber. And God wants me to stop robbing banks (laughs) and start robbing Satan instead. I don't know. (laughs) How would you fill in those blanks? The next application I want to offer is that Jesus is a team player and he wants us to work together. It's sad how political debates are infecting the church and undermining our unity at the moment. You may have come across um, the story of City Point College and there's so much commentary and there's so much good stuff and bad stuff coming out of there. But what really disappointed me this week was, was how Christians were just at it in public against each other. And the media loved it because they love conflict and they love to see Christians at each other's throats. And I admit, there's, there's a whole bunch of nuance. And if you want to talk about that issue over coffee, I'd love to, love to explain it more deeply. But here we see Jesus wants us to work as a team. Before he died, Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and God are one. Jesus was not a lone ranger. And he calls disciples, Peter, James, and John. And we must see that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in essence, is a community of love and support. People working together to create and redeem the world. God wants his church to be a team as well. A people on mission, growing together. We need to strive and pray for unity and cheerfully focus on the gospel especially when we disagree with others. In calling Peter, Jesus shows us that God doesn't just call the best of the best. He calls those who are ready to trust him and follow him, those who are faithful. 
a family of sinful people humble enough to put Jesus at the top of our priorities and follow him. There are literally hundreds of ways you can serve Jesus in our church and thousands of ways you can serve Jesus in our community. From the people who care for this beautiful sanctuary every single week and clean it up, to liturgical assistants, prayers, deacons, flower arrangers, musicians, welcomers, videographers, cleaners, cooks, counters, parish counsellors and groundsmen. We're all called at Dolby Anglican to work as a team in our mission of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. The final application I want to offer you is this, that we are made for mission. I quote this passage all the time, uh, but it's worth committing to memory. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So many of us go through life unfulfilled, trying to figure out what we're here for. Peter discovers the meaning of life, and it's sitting right there in his boat. Sometimes God calls us to fish during the day, to do something we've tried before in a totally crazy way. We might think, well, I've, I've tried kids' church and no one came. I've tried youth group and no one showed up. I've, we've, we've tried a different service and, and it didn't work. I've tried helping out at church and no one appreciated me. God says, throw your nets in for a catch. Fishing in the day just requires obedience. And when we walk by faith, God works miracles through us. God may be calling you to leave your job, your family and your possessions behind and become an itinerant missionary. But even if he isn't, we need to see here that Peter walks into a whole new world of living as he follows Jesus and we are called to do the same. Jesus is worth leaving everything behind for. Nothing is more wonderful than serving the king. If you're wondering why life seems a bit stale, a bit unfulfilling, or a bit hard at the moment, talk to God about him. Ask him not what he can do for you, but what you can do for him. That's where your true self is found. The other day I was meeting a parishioner who would really love to come to church, but she's just way too sick. Um, she's on oxygen and all sorts of things and bring her communion every now and then. And, and she just says, oh, well, I wish I could do more for the church. And I said to her, well, are you praying? And she said, yes, of course. I pray for you all the time. Pray for you. I said, well, that's glorious. That's the most wonderful thing you can do. And I can assure you that every single day I see your prayers answered through what God is doing in our church. Friends, as we look at the good news gathered, let's see that the world God guides us into and calls us into, calls us into mission. Jesus' seaside sermon and miracle show us how to answer his call and enter into the new world of his kingdom. 
we are called not from some other place but from where we're at we are called to work together and we are called on mission because that is what we are made for may we be gathered unto Jesus and sent out today in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen Amen